0: I'd like to welcome everybody to the TOT cast. My name is Ryan Greco. You can always be sure to reach out to me on Twitter at Ryan Greco416. You can always reach Chris O'Cranitz at Chris O'Cranitz. If you have a question for the show or you have your own thoughts and opinions to lay down on us, always be sure to hit up the show's Twitter account at Tip of the Tower. And always be sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our iTunes under the TOT cast. Tay J couldn't make it out this week, but if you ever need to reach him, you can always reach him at Tay. That's T-E-Y 11 underscore out on Twitter. Well, Chris, it's been uh, quite the week in Toronto sports. Uh, the uh, All-Star starting lineups have been announced for our very own All-Star game, the first time that we've had it in the history of the NBA here in Toronto. Um, we've also uh, had some quite the controversy, actually, with the uh, the NHL All-Star game going on as well. <laughs> I mean been a greasy deal nice
1: little backdoor trade there to try and prevent John Scott from going but we'll get to that in a bit later
0: absolutely absolutely I mean I think one of the things that I think we can all celebrate right now is the fact that Kyle Lowry Kyle Lowry is a starter for the second year in a row. Yep, well-deserved. I mean,
1: well, DeRozan might join him as well, but Lowry now joins only Chris Bosh and Vince Carter as only multi-All-Star selected players in Raptors history. I mean, which that's... Which is quite, quite an accomplishment. It, it,
0: it is, it is. Because, I, I mean, I had the opportunity to tra- try and dig back into the history of the Toronto Raptors, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, I barely was able to script the other starting five. Well, you said there was only six All-Stars all-time? There, yeah, only six. So... It's nice to see Lowry actually keep this going. Absolutely, yeah. And between him and hopefully Demar as well. Um, and I mean, with, with that even being said, Chris, uh, obviously that this this debate is always going to arise because it's the fans that decide who the starting five is. I yeah. mean, anyone could say any day of the week that you know a guy like Kobe Bryant, he's there as a lifetime achievement award. I'm, I'm sure the entire league, anyone who has any kind of sense when it comes to appreciating the NBA for what it is as a fan, knows that Kobe Bryant deserves to be there, much in the same way that Michael Jordan deserved to be there. And I mean. I mean, a Raptor himself and Vince Carter actually had a a, a space in history during the All-Star game by giving up his starting spot to the Michael Jordan, knowing it was his last game. Which,
1: I totally understand why he did it, and I kind of wish that somebody in the West would have done that again this year for Kobe, because... Honestly, he doesn't deserve a starting All-Star spot based off play. He really doesn't. It's just a lifetime achievement award, and that's why he's there. And the fans voted him in. But on the contrary, if you're going to kind of knock the fan vote, you also got to understand that Kyle Lowry, almost a 98,000 vote swing is what got him into the All-Star game,
0: right? <laughs> Don't mess with the Canadians. That's yeah, so I mean, say. as much as we
1: knock on the All-Star vote, being with the fans, it. It's what got Lowry in the game, and it's the same thing sure. that they got Kobe in the game. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword with the voting process, right? I mean, I'm not for him giving the fans as much power as they have in terms of voting, like you said before. Look at Yao Ming, for example. Oh. Geez. He got into the game even injured. Yep, he did. Just because of where he's from. Yep. So I get it, but at the same time, it's, it's such a double-edged sword with it, I mean...
0: I want to ask you a question Chris. I don't want to dive too deep into this, but I think it's a very fair question to ask for a lot of listeners out there as well. Michael Jordan. Now, there's a reason why Michael Jordan never made the All-Star starting five. And I find this I find this interesting because he didn't make he didn't make it by fan voting. He made it because a player gave up a spot. Whereas Kobe, he got in unanimously. Not only did he get it in without question, he got in because the fans voted him more than anyone else. Now, if Kobe Bryant had left the game for two or three years and came back on a different team and had done what Michael had done, do you think the fans would be so endeared to him the way that they weren't to Michael in 2003?
1: Well, nah, you know what? I think they actually would be in this day and age. Really? If they, But if they knew this
0: was his last season. I mean, and Michael never really said it out front, but everybody kind of knew. Well, Kobe's taking the Derek Jeter farewell tour, right? Oh, just for the record? I just want everyone to know, Michael Jordan still averaging more points, more assists, and more rebounds than Kobe Bryant is in his last season.
1: Yeah, MJ's MJ, man. Like, Fans always use him as a measuring stick when it comes to
0: NBA talk. For good reason, and that's one of the reasons why. Of course,
1: but at the same time, it does hinder the league, in my opinion, because fans get stuck in the past, and they use MJ as this measuring stick when he's gone, he's not coming back. They they kind of got to move forward.
0: I'm one of those fans that hates to admit it, but it's true. Like, we, We have to kind of move on and it's like we can sit there with NBA 2K whatever it is up until this yeah. year until 10 years from now and say oh well it was this and it was that you know what fans that are 20, 30, 40 years older than you and me will also be sitting there going well you know what what if Magic was here or what if Kareem was here what if Will Chamberlain or Bob Cousy was here where we all know damn well that Bob Cousy can only dribble with one right with one hand so well, it's like
1: <laughs> that's kind of what makes basketball talk great though in my opinion is it emulates a barbershop atmosphere for anybody who's <laughs> Anybody knows. like a boys club thing where it's Absolutely. just you go in there, you shoot the breeze. That high top fade. Yeah, man. You just talk all that. Five to the one. Compare about things like what ifs. That's that's what makes basketball talk great. And things like Michael Jordan as a comparison or a measuring stick per se, yep. that's just basketball talk. It's that barbershop atmosphere.
0: And I'm glad that you brought that up as well, given the barbershop atmosphere. Because you've got a, a personal starting five for both teams yourself given everything that we now have the information to us. Um, Chris, you are one of, I, I'm going to say this right now for anybody listening, for any of our listeners that have, have taken time to listen to this show, they know that Chris O'Kranis is one of the most hardcore statisticians that there is in the game right now. And i I'm, I'm not making any bones about it. This guy works his ass off. And I think that he has a very solid starting five, given all the research that he's done for the NBA All-Star game. And I think that it's something that should always be taken into account. And now, without further ado, because this guy, he hates me right now for me introducing him like this. Yeah, but, he's too kind. <laughs> exactly. He, he hates me, but I know I have to do it. Because no, you don't. Oh, <laughs> I, I just did. So, yeah. without further ado, Chris, who do you consider your starting five, both for the East and for the West? Uh, to be fair, like a disclaimer right away,
1: I, I don't... Take the All Star Game too seriously because at the end of the day, it's just a glorified pickup game. I'd rather go watch these guys, but I'd rather go watch these guys play like Rucker Park on the Drew League in the West Coast. I'd, I just rather watch them in a more competitive atmosphere. And that's something we got to do that this summer too. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
1: But to give you like five stars in the East, I'd say it's. I feel like it's kind of a lot of things that people have read or looked around at because these guys are just they're unanimous in my opinion, and there's maybe two players you can make a good argument for against. Um, but I'd say Kyle Lowry starting at the guard spot with uh, Jimmy Butler. Um, after that, I'd put LeBron James, Paul George, Paul Millsap. Okay, so. that'd be my front court. And the other two guys that you could, you could probably argue against Paul George or Paul Millsap would be uh, Andre Drummond and Chris Bosh. Those would be the two guys that you can make a very, very good
0: argument for. Why Andre Drummond? Because I know he's atrocious from the free throw line. I'm sure some people would like to bring that up, but why specifically Drummond? Well, that's why I had him out of the starting five,
1: in my opinion, because not only that he's poor from the free throw line, he's still developing as a two way player. Don't get me wrong. This guy Mm -hmm. rips the rebound on the low block, he's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. But a lot of his game is still evolving, which is kind of scary when you think about it. I mean, he's averaging like 16, 15 almost every night. Mm -hmm. So just because of the sheer fact that his game is kind of not fully complete yet, and he still has some deficiencies that you see on a nightly basis, I had to give it to a guy like Paul Millsap, who. Yeah, the Hawks, they're not ripping the league on fire like they were last year. Yeah. But what he brings to the table each night in terms of how important he is to the Hawks and their offense and defense, he's one of the most tenacious on-ball defenders in the entire league, which is kind of funny because when you look at his plus-minus ratio on the court with the Hawks, it's not that great. It just hovers above even, which is kind of funny when you think about how great of a defender Millsap is and how how much he impacts the game on both ends of the floor. But because of how much he impacts it that's why he's in the starting five for me over a drummond or even a chris bosh
0: i mean that's that's quite the take <coughs> right there because me personally i would have had andre drummond as my as my starting center hands down who else so would you have for the starting lineup yeah give me your starting total, five for these my starting lineup at center without a doubt andre drummond averaging not just a double double but a dominant double double 17.6 points per game 15.4 rebounds per game i mean i don't i don't know not even you name me another guy who's averaging. It's one thing to average a double double. It's another to average a double double in those kind of numbers where you're you're coming close to 20 points per game year, and you're already averaging 15 rebounds per game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a career high for about 90 percent of the guys in the league in the lower post. Yep. Right. So power forward. I mean, we also have uh, we have Whiteside, Hassan Whiteside. He's another double double guy. But the thing that's the X factor with him is that he's averaging almost four blocks per game. So not only are you averaging A double double, both in the post and also as a scoring threat, averaging 12.3 points per game. But you are also affecting at least, you're taking away four shots from the opponent. You're taking away almost four shots for the opponent, per game, by yourself. Well, A guy like Bosch helps him out a lot, though, too, right? Abso- I, I, absolutely, and I, I can imagine that, because not only that, Bosch is the kind of guy who has spent his entire career stretching the floor. Yep. He's a guy who's played on the offensive end. He's actually, even ever since he came to Miami, he's developed his three-point shot. So this is a guy that's not afraid to stretch out the floor, and because of that, it's also made him just as mobile to be able to defend guys off of a switch, especially guards, bigger guards, shooting guards, or small forwards, in that sense. And it gives Whiteside that extra step and the confidence, knowing that he has potentially a future a future Hall of famer having his back whenever he might make a mistake allows him to be over aggressive it allows him to take chances because you got a guy like Bosch who might I add while he was with the Raptors almost averaged a double double with his entire career and seven seems with them how good would he look with the Raptors right now oh my I'm God Man, I don't want to talk about that it. four hole I like don't want to talk leave it. it's it's here, scary round with the rest of your east who's it who's he got for a front court all right small forward I don't even need to see the numbers. LeBron James. Yeah, we, we all know. It's, it's, you know what? He's Michael Jordan of our era. He's Kobe Bryant of our era. He's going to be top three no matter what. It doesn't matter. Shooting guard? I don't care if you call me a homer. DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> Absolutely. And for the same reason that his his numbers are there. But you know what? It's interesting that I bring that up, though, because there's another guy who's also puts up a valiant point is Paul George. This is a guy who's averaging 23.7 points per game, 7.4 rebounds. He's started off the season as a power forward. But a lot of people, when they were scratching their heads going, oh, I mean, Paul George is a little bit undersized for a power forward, right? But he's shown himself... He's a big guy. Capable, right? This is a guy who played his entire career up until this point on the wing. And now he's getting accustomed to backing himself down in the post. It's almost like an older Jordan, so to speak. Because Jordan made a career when he was with the Wizards. Now, everyone can take the shots all they like, but when he was in that low post on a small forward or a shooting guard, that guard had no chance of blocking him. He was going to make that shot over him. And George... For different reasons, is showing that he's very effective in that position.
1: Yeah, Jordan's jumper started to fail him near the end of his career, so he got smarter. He exactly. realized that he could play without the ball in his hands and literally just muscle the young guys down <laughs> low, which was brilliant on his part. He was right? mean. It's great. That's the he way was cerebral. Be. Yeah, he's very cerebral. Right. I like how you gave the uh, traditional starting five though. Well, who's your point guard?
0: My point guard. Lowry. Lowry, okay. Come on now, Lowry. Yeah. He's no he's had the best point he's had the best uh, season so far for any point guard in the East. I, I don't yeah, like I really don't wanna yeah, I, There's
1: only like one player I may argue for. Isaiah Thomas off Boston, he's had a hell of a season at the point guard spot, but it still doesn't equate to what Lowry's done, in my opinion. And I'm not even trying to sound like a homer. Lowry's just been a flat-out beast this year. He's, he's probably going to garner some MVP votes when it's all said and done.
0: I've got something for the listeners out here, because I know you already know this specifically, but I think people need to understand. Kyle Lowry last year took the team on his shoulders and kept them near the top, if not at the top, for most of the first half of the of the regular season at the Eastern Conference of the Raptors. And we... People were actually taking notice of that, going, like, wait, the Raptors are at the top for, what, three, four, five, six, seven days in a row now? Like, what's going on? (laughs) Keep in mind, DeMar DeRozan was injured for almost all of that entire stretch. Now, not only that, though, now, DeMar DeRozan is back during this part of the year. Not only is he back, he's healthy. And somehow, Lowry is actually putting together better numbers than he was last year, leading up until this point. Some of the best and the fact that he he's even been able to put together those kind of numbers with his main scoring option on the wing there his partner in crime i've got some numbers for you right now i think it's worth bringing up is for anybody who thinks that Lowry and DeRozan aren't worth being all-stars let's put it in their perspective in this way between these two they are averaging averaging 44 points per game as a backcourt tandem the only tandem that's averaging more is, take a wild guess, Klay Thompson and Steph Curry at
2: 50.5.
0: If that's not all-star worthy, I really don't know what is as far as scoring efficiency, ability to take over a game. And we've been saying this about, about the Raptors, and specifically DeMar DeRozan, though, for a long time, about how he's been a part of some sort of top backcourt tandem whether it was with Rudy Gay and now it's with Kyle Lowry but he's always been in the conversation as one of the top shooting guards in the league however fans just never seem to want to give him the respect
1: well he's really evolved this year as we've seen it's not so much just scoring the basket mm. he's finally realized at least in the past 10 games give or take you don't got to get everything from mid-range and you don't got to get everything from the free throw line so what I mean by that is that he's no longer settling for long twos at a ridiculous rate anymore and he's not driving to the lane to get a foul. He's driving to the lane to score. I know that sounds really a difference. There's a kinda, difference. there, a big and there difference. is a big difference. Yeah, there's a difference. I know it sounds like dumb to most average fans to try and say that he's driving to the lane to get a foul and driving to the lane to score. They're like, well, what the hell? Obviously, he's driving to the lane to score every time. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're going to the lane to try and draw contact. And if it goes in the net, great.
0: Either way, yep. I'm going to the lane to shoot too. Yep. And there's a difference to that.
1: Now he's going and he's just his game has became a lot more versatile where you have to respect his mid-range because that's always been a staple of his game. But now he can take you to the cup. He doesn't shoot as many threes. He He's just, he's moving the ball and he's starting to play more without the ball, which is a refreshing sight because a lot of times he just hangs on to it and then settles for that long fadeaway, yeah. which has been a killer. It's been an Achilles heel to his game in the previous years. Whereas this year, you've just seen more continuity and flow in the offense. And it's shown through his game especially where when he goes to the lane, It just changes
0: everything. It changes everything. I would argue, to borrow one of your terms, he is that much more cerebral now when he picks his spots going to the cup. (coughs) Yeah. What I mean by that is he knows that he is going straight to the basket and if someone hits him, they hit him. But it doesn't matter. No matter what, he knows. He's made the decision. I'm scoring this basket. Yep.
1: No, I 100% agree with that. And people can chalk it up to him playing for a max deal in a contract year and that's why he's motivated. Who gives a rip? A lot of players, sometimes that contract year in their entering their prime years, I guess you could say, is where you really start to see them take a step forward in their career. So chalk it up to him playing well for a contract year. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. This is just a player taking that next step in his game. And if he regresses in the next couple of years, then sure, I'll eat my words. But for the most part, this is where you start to see a lot of bonafide stars in any sports league Mm -hmm. take that next step is when they're at the big contract year. The big one where they're finally gonna get that max out deal, they're gonna get paid, their life's gonna be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And then you see them kind of progress from there and out, and they become the star.
0: Even if you even if he does regress though, you're not really eating your words though, because he's sitting here looking at this going, It's 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 a mortality check even. Like where you realize, I only have so many years to do this. Yeah. Right? And in the NBA, it's it's a very and, and you know what, it's never been more clear in professional sports than it is nowadays, worthy. You know, how many guys do you know are productive going into their 30s in any sport that is happening nowadays?
1: It's tough. I mean, it varies per sport. You look at a place like NFL. When you hit 30, you're basically like a dinosaur to a lot of positions that are quarterback. You make that argument
0: for the NBA too, though.
1: Yeah, NBA. You could say. I'd say once you get past like 32, 33, it's starting to go down. Yeah. A lot of sports are shifting to a younger, just a younger demographic. Yeah. Even the NHL, like they say, your prime is 27 to 32 now. Yep. Before they'd say, hey, you're not in your prime, so you're like almost 30. But now it's shift Everything's just shifting younger. So I, I would definitely agree with that. All
0: right, You can make the argument that a lot of the players nowadays have, especially the ones coming up, have much more information available to them. Better coaching, better conditioning, better everything. You know, and it's and that makes a difference, right? Like for them to be able to intake all the information that they have allows them to be that much better at 21, 22, 23, 24 to be hitting their prime by the time they're 26, 27 when they hit their literal physical prime with all of that mental information that they've already taken in from the last 10, 15 years of taking in the game that it is. And, and, And not only that, I mean... That, that builds on something else that we're talking about as well is just like, you know, you, you've got the prep school system that comes in for whether it's hockey in the OHL or whether it's for basketball happening in, in, in Canada, something that's been going on in the States for years, something that's been going for a lot of these different things is that, you know, these a lot of these athletes, they're, they're training like professional athletes long before they're ever professional. Expectations have
1: changed immensely. Yes. Immensely. Yes. You look at things like the AAU circuit, for example, you're groomed to be a star at a young age where you're put on this pedestal as you're the next big thing. Now, yep. the media is partly to blame for that because we hype these recruits up with five-star, four-star. Oh, star. my God. Yep. So it's, it, it's just a, a different machine now. It's a different beast, and that's a whole other topic to get into, to be it quite is, honest. It is, it is. But that's why some of these guys, I think the age, like you're saying, is getting younger, where you're hitting your prime at a younger age, just because so many factors have changed the game now where you are kind of playing like a pro at a lot younger, lot younger age. It's true.
0: Now, speaking of somebody...
1: Who definitely plays like a pro. Well, hold on here. Hold on. All
0: right.
1: You didn't give me your Western Conference starter. So you got started in the West.
0: (laughs) You caught me. It's true. It's true. So, the West. Starting at center. Anthony Davis.
1: Why do you do uh, center power forward, small forward shooting? They changed it this year. They got three front court, two uh, two back court.
0: Because I'm a traditionalist, That's Chris, That's and fair. I believe I believe in the traditional sense of what players are, even though it might be long dead hey. <laughs> in the next couple of years. Rumble, young man, rumble. I, mm, you know it. <laughs> um, no, I definitely would want to give it to uh, Anthony Davis uh, starting at the at the tip off. 23.1 points per game, 10.4. Re- Once again, another guy averaging double doubles, 10.4 rebounds on top of that uh right behind him I might get some heat for this but I love him Deandre Jordan 11.7 points 13.5 rebounds another double double man he's a guy who's and, and one thing that I found fascinating this year I will say it right now if nobody else has said it yet This is the year where Deandre Jordan is overtaking Blake Griffin as the most important piece of that cog at the front court stop that
1: He is <laughs> That is still he Chris is. Paul's team, man. He is.
0: No, no, I'm talking him about the front Blake. court. Yeah, I'm they, talking they about can, the front court. They can live without
1: DeAndre. They cannot live without Blake.
0: DeAndre Jordan has not only that, what, what do you Then what say you to this winning streak that the Clippers have been able to put together? This 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 level of success that they've had now that they don't have to pick and choose between DeAndre and Blake.
1: I'll be honest. I don't give a rip about the regular season because the players barely do. So, and it's such a hollow argument because all that matters is playoffs in the NBA. So it's kind of like, how do you put a value on a player from an individual skill set? It's really tough to. You're just taking like an individual talent and saying, player X would fit in good on team Y, and this is why my reasons are.
0: I'm glad you brought that up, though, because... When you take into account, I had an opportunity to watch the Clippers last year. And it seemed like, for as great as Blake Griffin was, when he had the ball in his hands, when he was playing against the Spurs, it always seemed like, especially guys in the front court that he was playing with, were standing still. It always seemed like, when Blake had the ball, he had an opportunity to either dish it up for a three, or they all knew he was going up for a shot. And it just seems like, whenever Blake Griffin has the ball, it just takes time away from Chris Paul being able to dictate the offense in a, in a sense. I'm
1: glad you said dictate because part of the problem with the Clippers at times is, and this is a problem with a lot of Doc Rivers teams, they're overbearing in terms of where Doc will call a lot of plays or he'll rely on his point guard to really, like you said, dictate the offense and sometimes it kind creates a stagnant set. You mean he's or calling they, the St.
0: Joe's offense?
1: <laughs> yeah, if you want to say that a little bit, yeah. Don't worry, I love you guys. <laughs> he, uh, Chris Paul will Really make you a half-court team And the thing about Chris Paul is Yes, he's a great leader He's one of the best point guards In the entire league I'd build a franchise with him If I had to But you got to be able to Bear with what Chris Paul does Which is The ball has to be in his hands It's a half-court mm-hmm. offense It's going to go the way That Chris Paul wants That damn offense to go mm-hmm. So For people to kind of Knock Blake Griffin for that the offense is kind of a lot of set plays at times. They don't play a lot of fluid transition basketball. Yeah, don't get me wrong. They got the name Lob City because of transition lobs and the exciting stuff.
0: Let's get, well, let's get one thing Chris clear. Chris Paul is
1: still the general He's there that not. runs the show.
0: Baron Davis was the was part of that whole Lob City.
1: Yeah, that's how it first started. Exactly, because back. Baron
0: Davis was all about that free-flowing well, if, love if, fest. If, if, if you're going to
1: knock Blake Griffin, the only thing you can knock him for, in my opinion, is he, at times in big games, is non-existent in fourth quarters. You look at him and you're like, where's Blake? But if you want to knock DeAndre Jordan...
0: I think that also attributes to part of his game, though. Because in those moments when the defense really tightens up, he's not going to get that open space to oh, work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, He's a difficult guy. Like I, I've always found that he finds it much more difficult when the D really tightens up on him. He works best when he's able to show his athleticism. Whereas a guy like DeAndre Jordan is very good at being able... To work under that kind of situation Regardless of, of how much how tight the defense is on him Because he's a rebounds first guy Points year.
1: Yeah, but DeAndre Look, for, for as much as everyone wants to credit him He knew where his bread was buttered And that's with Chris Paul That's why he went back to this year I will definitely not argue that though <laughs> He's he's a legitimate byproduct of Chris Paul Where you're going to get good defense from him And yep. rebounding, that's it Whatever else comes as a bonus Whereas Blake Go back and look at Blake in his rookie year in the beginning of his career even where this guy's jump shot was it looked like someone you got out of Dave and Buster's when you see the guy shooting for fun of the net. It was the Drummond style. But now look at his jump shot. Blake Griffin has taken so many steps forward that now you can't just say he's an attack the rim player. He is more of a total game guy now.
0: And that's the scariest part though about him. He's a total game guy. It's sad to see though that the way that the Clippers are built around him that it almost doesn't fit him.
1: Okay, well here. This would be like my one final argument to... Blake Griffin versus DeAndre Jordan alright you put Blake Griffin on any team in the NBA is he still a star absolutely you put DeAndre Jordan on any team in the NBA is he still a
0: star he's Andre Drummond he's Andre Drummond
1: I don't know about that he'll still
0: average those double doubles I think someone will find at this point given everything that he knows he's still gonna average double doubles do I think he's gonna be an all star he'll be a reserve guy I think you're being a bit generous that's
1: I think he'll be like close to a double-double, but
0: not the same efficiency that you see right now in LA. Put it this way. We've seen how I, I I think the best argument the best comparison that I can make with him and about how his career might dictate will be like how Dwight Howard's has. Whereas Dwight Howard, he's a physical monster, physical freak. DeAndre Jordan was not that physical monster or freak, but I think as far as bodybuild. Andre Drummond is probably the closest thing to him. Only difference is that Andre Drummond knows that he has to kind of do it himself, in a sense.
1: Well, Andre was decent at a young age. Like when he played at UConn, he was still a good player. Yeah. When DeAndre Jordan played Texas a this guy was a project. Like when they the Clippers took him, they knew. Straight what they athleticism. Just yeah. Let's, he's just let's do a it. raw freak that couldn't shoot free throws. Yeah. And now he can kind of shoot free throws, and he's a much more polished player. But I wouldn't. I don't know if I go as far to say he'd be an all-star on any other team than the Clippers.
0: It's a fair point. So as far as my small forwards go. Yeah, we I, I, take you know it what? Down. I know. I'm Hey. Hey, this is what it's all about though. We're on our barbershop uh, ish right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> um small forward. Now, the easy pick is Kevin Durant. It's the sexy pick. Okay. He's got the shoes. He's got the numbers. I mean, he's averaging 26 and a half points per game. Averaging 7.8 rebounds. I mean, he's he's a small forward, right? He's the guy that, you know, apparently Thon Maker can school. So we've got him, but we've also got another guy. Another guy that a lot of people are very high on, but it just doesn't seem like the NBA public, and when I say the public, I mean the fans, are really high on just yet, is Draymond Green as a starting small forward. He deserves it. And I think that that's a guy right there. He is the true motor that makes that Golden State Warriors team run. I don't have any numbers to back that up right now right in front of me. I don't really think I need to because I think anybody who knows the NBA, anybody who's watched the Golden State Warriors plays knows how important Draymond Green is to that team. And with all of that being said, I want your thoughts on that. I mean, if you had to pick over Kevin Durant and you had to pick over Draymond Green, really quickly, who would you pick and why? This, oh, if you're going to do your All-Star team right now, I'll give you my
1: starting five after you finish yours. Then, how about that?
0: All right, fine. So my shooting guard then is going to be James Harden because he fills up the bucket and he does what a shooting guard is supposed to do. He scores points. That's that's really his only job. That that the 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 um the traditional sense of a shooting guard is you shoot, you score. That is what it is. So James Harden. Point guard, I really don't think I even need to really say it. It's Steph Curry. He's aver- the kid's averaging almost 30 points a game. He's literally a decimal point off of averaging 30 points per game. So with that all being said, I mean, the kid's also still in the running for being MVP for the second straight year. He probably so will. Yeah. So, I mean, so Chris, also, sorry, honorable mention for point guard, someone that no one's talking about, Rajon Rondo. 11.7 assists per game with 11.7 points per game. I think that's something that nobody's talking about because he's gotten such a bad rep in the media after blowing up with the coaches uh, with Carlisle in Dallas, and he's the Sacramento team is not winning, but he's got Boogie Cousins there working with him. He's got a few other guys there. It's a young team, and they trust his ability to make the decisions with the ball. And it's it's he's turning into one of the best assist producers in the league right now since Steve Nash. He's also a cancer.
1: He is. He's a flat out cancer. Everywhere he's gone, he's caused
0: issues and I'll leave it at that I won't the only man to ever tame well actually took two Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen actually sorry all at the same time to tell that kid to shut up
1: for like two years
0: and and then they got too old unfortunately
1: he's just Rondo's this is a guy at Kentucky who was trying to pick up other players girlfriends and stuff it's, he's never changed.
0: He's the kind of kid that would only shut up if Magic or Jordan told him to shut
1: up. I don't even think he would. He's a mega talent, though. Don't get me wrong. And not just in basketball. Or maybe
0: if Jordan would just punch him out, right?
1: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> kind of like he did to Steve Kerr. But uh, yep, he's, I lost Steve Kerr. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a mega talent, though, Rondo. I mean, he was a recruit, like a highly touted recruit for a quarterback in football. He was a pitcher in baseball, and then he was a basketball player. So, talents there. But for me, I, oh, I so that's why he's a
0: snake was playing baseball huh? I have no idea We, we know some snakes, Chris <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God bless you guys <laughs> uh, For right, me, I stuck,
1: I stuck with the traditional Well, not the traditional The new way of doing things Which is two backcourt, three frontcourt And for me, I got Steph Curry Russell Westbrook in my backcourt I got Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green in my frontcourt um, If any of them wanted to step down And step aside for Kobe to come in And have his last hurrah I do think it'd be Durant For two reasons Durant is a huge student of the game he loves the history, he loves everything to do with basketball and the second reason is because it would be a good way for him to kind of flip the bird to the media which is something he's been doing for the past year and a half where he tells them that all the time, he casually reminds them they don't know-ish so I feel like Durant stepping down to let Kobe take his spot would be fitting and uh, honorable mention would have to be DeMarcus Cousins that man is a flat out beast, Boogie is a savage and I would say Anthony Davis but he, he just hasn't been healthy enough Although I do think the brow is easily one of the five best players in the NBA when healthy,
0: when healthy. He could be a small forward if he felt like it.
1: 100%. Big men weren't only making headlines in uh, NBA all-star voting, though. Did you uh, happen to see the big bruiser there, John Scott, making some headlines in NHL all-star voting after he got, well, they tried to screw him. You know what? (laughs) Give me your two cents on it first before we get into details.
0: I just want to make this clear right now. At the end of the day, John Scott really had nothing to do with John Scott being John Scott in the situation that involved John Scott. It's a whole lot of John Scott. Because John Scott is a big deal on the ice. Oh, yeah. He's somebody that always, everybody, every single player on the ice knows where John Scott is when John Scott's on the ice. Yeah, all
1: six minutes. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? Let's just keep something 100% real right now. John Scott is the last of a dying breed. I we honestly
1: think he's played his last NHL game.
0: And and you know what? It's a shame because a highly respected member of the hockey community had a lot to say about that. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think it was warranted and I don't think the criticism of the fans who took something that has always been a joke as far as the NHL voting is concerned and as far as the, the game itself and the skills competition and everything. Like, they, they've tried this for so long to try and let people take it seriously when it just has never been and you know somebody who's as respected in the hockey community as this man that we're about to play he took a turn on it and and he decided that you know he's going to take the stance of the old man shouting at the young kids on his grass just play the tape
2: you've you've taken this kid who was doing pretty good playing six minutes played 12 minutes didn't matter he's an arizona nhl contract what you did was you took and put him in the minors now and he's earning, I'm sure he's got a two-way contract and he's making American League money. Lots of fun, eh? And what they did was, hey, let's get a guy that hasn't scored a goal and let's put him in NHL. We'll upset the NHL. We'll upset this. it be funny. The funny, the kid's in the minors now. You upset the trade, four families that have to go now. I bet you're very proud of yourself because the NHL this year is going to be terrific. It's going to be terrific, three on three. It is going to be dynamite. They spent a million dollars for the for the prize. in Nashville spent money, and you're going. You tried to ruin it all, and you ruined this kid. He's in the minors, never to come back. I bet you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's it.
0: Now, the first thing I have to say to that, Mr. Don Cherry. First of all, my mother loves you. <laughs> I think everybody loves Don. I think that absolutely he's I, a great person man great he's, guy to talk he's to one of the most he's one of the most respected voices in the hockey community he's a guy that very rarely ever gets questioned without a, a solid warranted reason however he has been a very controversial figure in the past and I've always been able to support Don on a lot of his views about 99% of his views on how the hockey world is but this one I have to disagree to say shame on the fans well at the end of the day Let's, let's just break it down. The Arizona Coyotes, a team that nobody wants. Let's just call it the way it is. The only person that wants that team there is Gary Bettman. They have now made the decision to trade him to the Montreal Canadiens, an original sixteen team with some legitimate franchise. They put some legitimacy to the idea of shutting him from the NHL by pushing him to the AHL. Now, to sit there and say that it was the fans' fault that he got traded and he got pushed there, and that, to claim that They made the mockery of this. I I couldn't disagree anymore. And I'll explain why. The fact of the matter is, is that no fan decided to take hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars from John Scott's mouth or his family's mouth. That was a decision made by the NHL. That was a decision made by the Arizona Coyotes. And that was a decision very much made by the Montreal Canadiens, who not only took John Scott with no intentions of playing him in the NHL, but stuffing him off into the AHL. And I think that's a load of crap. That we're the ones that are going to sit here and somehow get the blame for this. When the fact of the matter is is that we took something in good spirits. And the fact that, to be perfectly honest, it's the guys who have sat here and made a living out of understanding hockey and seeing all the numbers and, and appreciating the game for what it is. And I have nothing against those guys. But for them to try and sit here and say that we're the reason John Scott doesn't have a job in the NHL right now is asinine. Then at the at very end of the day... They could have made light of this. They could have done a whole lot of different other ways of doing this. But to try and put the blame on us, and the fact that we cost them millions of dollars, when it was the teams that made this decision for political reasons, give me a, give me a break. I'm just going to leave it at that.
1: You all right there, Grapes?
0: No, I'm not.
1: Yeah, you're getting all fired up, man. I I feel like Rob McLean do... now trying to get you to...
0: The best part about this, though, is that <laughs> here's the thing. I had an opportunity to play hockey for a substantial part of my life. I love the game. I've had a. I've given hockey a chance, but when I start seeing people trying to make excuses for something that white collars made the decision on—owners, GMs, maybe not so much GMs as white collars—because a few of them have been in the game, they know what it's about, right? But I'm not going to sit here and, and and say for a second that it's the fans' fault that something that was a joke to begin with has now cost a man his job because a couple of suits got embarrassed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna agree with you for the most part. The thing with the whole John Scott fiasco, if you wanna provide context to it, is
0: Ari- please do, Chris, because a lot of people are gonna take me and they're not gonna take it entirely seriously until you can at least shed some light on this.
1: You're not entirely wrong in my opinion. I think what you're saying is right, you're just extremely passionate about it. The thing with it is that Arizona and both the NHL asked John Scott to step down and knock out of the game numerous times. And every time Which he- is bull crap though.
0: Personally, sorry, I keep interrupting I, I, you, but I agree. still, like.
1: I agree. Come on. It is and it isn't. Like, you look at a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson on that team, he's way more deserving than John Scott. John Scott's just a, like, he's comedic relief. That's why he's won, right? But at the same time, if they asked him to step down and he said no, hey, eh, he is voted in, right? It is his technically right to go.
0: It is. As decided so. by the fans, that paid the tickets. That are the reason the league even exists in the first place
1: for the most part for the most part they, they do fill up the stadium and pay most of the salaries and TV deals and all that stuff but after they asked him and he said no they asked him again and he said no again and I totally understand why this is a guy who just makes a little more in league men. He doesn't make a lot of money. He plays like six minutes a night. There's a substantial difference between getting paid in the AHL and what you get paid in the NHL. Those game checks are drastically different. Absolutely. And you fly past in <laughs> You can ask a lot of guys the difference, man. There's a big, big difference. So I get it from his perspective. And let's face it, He's having twins. He's got his whole family going to the Nashville All-Star Game. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, he's got, like, there's a human side to it, right? Of him going to the game and all the festivities. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime experience for him. For a guy that, quite frankly, is so out of place, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But there's a human element to it, right? And the winning team gets 100K, which would probably help him a lot when you look at, like, what he's got coming down the chute here. I'm not trying to cry broke for him or anything, but that, that would help anybody, let's be real.
0: Especially in a league where, or a profession where you retire. Most of the guys retire by the time they're about 30, 31, 32.
1: Yeah. Now on the flip side, though, he's was on. he been on every national talk show, radio show, television you could possibly imagine that he could fill in a 24-hour day in the past couple of days. He was on the Dan Lebitard show earlier yesterday, and one of the things he said was he kind of felt embarrassed. He said he felt sad. He didn't turn on the TV, didn't read any newspapers, nothing, because he said... He's played this sport all his life And he's a hockey player But now he's kind of turned into this big running joke Not a hockey player mm-hmm. He's going there as a joke Which quite frankly yeah he is going there as a punchline I want to see him play with Kopitar And Kopitar throw some no look frisbees right on his tape And watch him <laughs> Who knows maybe put in the back of the net But if he doesn't I want to see that Of course. Like it's going to be funny But don't cry wolf when you had a chance To back out of this game twice And say feel sorry for me if you want them to feel sorry for you and you feel embarrassed and stuff, then back out of the game. But if you're going to go, wear it like a man, like he is, and don't complain about it. Just go, have a great time, represent the league, all that stuff. But where I do have an issue, and I do agree with Don Jerry a little bit, is sure the fans have control of it. But nobody's complained from a fan's perspective saying, I don't want to see John Scott in the game. Quite frankly, a lot of people are for it right now. So you can't pin the blame on the fans. If you want to pin the blame on anybody, pin it on the NHL for making a dirty deal. Let's call it what it is here. That was a dirty deal. They traded...
0: It it helped no one. It helped no one. No,
1: he just took a a prestigious franchise and told them, hey, stash John Scott for me. Take him out of the conference altogether so they can get their way. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, who keeps that Arizona franchise afloat? Gary Bettman does. He's probably like... I might even get involved in that, because he's he can be a bit of a greasy character. <coughs> <Part laughs> oh, who said that? Yeah. <laughs> but to stash him in Montreal, I'm sure Montreal got some sort of kickback for it and everything. There's there's a lot of shady stuff that was definitely going on there, where it was just... It, it's a rotten deal.
0: Look, Montreal's in the playoff picture right now, so no one's going to give a crap in Montreal about what they do. Hell, the entire province of Quebec isn't oh. going to necessarily...
1: They're pissed right now, Montreal fans. This is the first time they've been out of the playoffs, right? They're not in the top eight right no. now.
0: Cry me a bloody river. Oh man, <laughs> Toronto fans are—they're—they're—they're
1: they're, they're not the least bit upset. but nope.
0: At the same oh, no. time, I'm not.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a whole other nother. No, discussion.
0: but um, I, I'm glad—I'm glad you brought that up about um, you know, don't necessarily blame John Scott because you know what? I guarantee you, I know why John Scott has been embarrassed up until this point is because all of the talking heads in hockey—I'm—I'm I'm sure a lot of people he grew up respecting, idolizing, now saying that. He's trash, and he doesn't even deserve to be there. I mean, how? I mean, imagine that. I'm like, I'll give you an example for me. Imagine if I were to go and I was to, um, you know, go to uh, one of the open challenges for the uh, for the All Star game three point competition, and uh, I ended up putting together a better a better number. Just, I I had I had a great day. Putting together a better number in the NBA All Star Game skills competition for a lot of fans, and I put together a better number than some of the NBA All Star games. The, uh, uh, sorry, NBA All Star players, and they invited me out to go to the Air Canada Center and shoot amongst the actual players. Now, imagine if a lot of those guys were making a, a running joke about it, or that a guy like Charles Barkley, like, oh, this boy doesn't doesn't deserve to be there. Now, Chris, you understand my history with basketball. You understand what I've done, and the the, the sweat and the tears that I've shed. Playing this game, same thing I've done for baseball. Now imagine if you know one of my idols would sit there and say, "This guy doesn't deserve to be here. This is a joke." Now imagine the kind of effect I would have on me. And it doesn't even matter. Like I'm good. I've got I've got a lot of great things going for me in my own personal life, as far as my professional life is concerned. But at the same time, the idea of seeing the people that you've idolized growing up telling you that you're a joke, I mean. That, that's got to mean something. So I, I can imagine why John Scott would feel as embarrassed as he is. Now imagine somebody who's actually dedicated his life, not only that, but actually been successful at it and actually making it to a professional league and still with all of those accolades and still having experienced all the things that he's experienced, still being told to his face by the media that you're a joke, not just by people in suits or talking heads that have never played the game. We're talking about guys who've done it, lived it, breathed it, won championships, guys who went to the Hall of Fame, sitting there and saying, this is a mockery of the game that this guy's here. I mean, that, it's it's sad. To play on the idea of you saying the human side of it, it's really turned into a sad thing, the fact that a guy would feel that way that he does. So he's got two choices. Either he's going to man up, embrace it, and be the villain, pull a little Detroit bad boy's piston in him, or uh, Zedane O'Chara, Ottawa Senators, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Some, something like that because he is a goon by nature. That is what he is. He is a goon. He's, He's the last not a of a dying player, breed. Man. He's not a good exactly. Player. He's the last of a dying breed. So either wear it and accept it or feel sorry for yourself. The choice is his, right? Quite frankly, if you don't want to be viewed that way, play better.
1: Straight up. It's just the way sports works. Period. Play better. Reinvent yourself, change your game, play better. That's all it really boils down to. But if not, accept your All Star game appearance and just go. Just have a good time. I mean, he's going to live like a rock Be the goon that he star. is. Man, he's going to live like a rock star there. For, he'll, be, he'll be the talk of Nashville the entire All-Star weekend. Live it up, brother.
0: At the end of the day, he has to walk into that. We have, a, we have a good friend. A good friend that we've known for years. We grew up with him. He's the kind of guy that could walk into any kind of situation and knowing he's the toughest guy in that situation. John Scott needs to walk into the situation knowing that and having that kind of confidence. Because even though... He may not have the skill, he may not have anything else that's going for him other than the fact that the people declared him to be there. He needs to carry that kind of confidence with him, knowing that, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm the toughest guy in this room. I don't know, I I, I deserve that respect, no one give me a hard time, and if they're going to, I'm going to laugh it off. Nobody will give him a hard time. Exactly, because no one's going to, and that's it,
1: right? One of his good buddies is Patrick Kane, that's all you got to know. There you go. He's well-respected in the locker room, he's a well-liked player. It's just an unfortunate set of circumstances to quote Lou Amarillo right now. And it's nobody's fault except the fans in that regard where they voted him in. But at the same time, it's going to be comical.
0: <laughs> and it'll be great. And I can't wait to see when he gets NHL MVP All-Star, um, All-Star Appellation. Yeah, I hope he lights it up. I want to see six ga- six goals put it up, light it up on whoever it is that he's going to be facing. Can't wait whether it's going to be the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference at this point. <laughs> Maybe he'll wear a neutral jersey, and he'll play center for both teams for the entire game.
1: I just want to see him play Kopitar for a bit, or even Kane. Flip him on the uh, Central Division and let him play Kane for a bit. A couple frisbees there, Chris. Oh, man. Him and Kopitar would be hilarious. Kopitar is <laughs> such a, a class above him in so many levels, it'd be hilarious. I'm all for it. <laughs> To kind of give like a comparison for basketball fans, imagine they voted in Anthony Bennett. Oh, Lord. <laughs> he doesn't play much. He's well, a good guy, friend, though. He, we
0: had a chance to meet him. He was a
1: quality yeah, person. No, no doubt. I'm not, I, the thing that people kind of misinterpret a lot of times these all-star votes, you're not knocking the person. This is professional sports. This is strictly from a player standpoint. Thank how you perform, all that stuff. A lot of these guys are great guys for the most part.
0: Newsflash. They're all making six figures or more.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can take all that out of it. It's just, it's a bottom-line industry. Yep. So, this is strictly off-performance. Great guy and all, but imagine, like, Drake put and Bieber put some campaign together, and Trudeau and Norm, yeah. the sixth dad, and they, they gathered all his votes and Bennett got into the game.
0: I guarantee you he'd throw a few down, though. Like, he, he, would, be, he would do it with authority. Maybe. I mean, he'd be I'd, angry about it. Like, I'd be I...
1: curious to see how the NBA dealt with that. But that would be equivalent to John Scott in the NBA. Yep. But speaking of local products, though... You've had a chance to go check out uh, Orangeville Prep, the uh, Athlete Institute up in Orangeville there.
0: Absolutely. It was a uh, fantastic experience going up there. And uh, I mean, what more can you say about the talent that's up there? I mean, uh, not just Orangeville Prep or Athlete Institute specifically. I'm talking about the entire league, the Ontario Scholastic Basketball Association. I mean, a lot of people are making the argument that this is the future now for elite high school basketball in this country, and more specifically in the province of Ontario, because it's become such a hotbed, whether it's in the Kitchener-Waterloo region, whether it's in the greater Toronto area, these are a lot of things that, uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether the league is going to be able to sustain the kind of success and support that they're getting right now, but from what I've seen, I mean, the level of competition is, is the best in the country. I mean, it's... You know, both of these teams that we saw that night, the the teams that I saw that night, Orangeville Prep and the Hill Academy specifically, these are both teams that regularly go down to the states and they play against good American prep schools, not just high schools, we're talking about prep schools and they're winning games. Uh, I mean, we just uh, we just saw uh, Orangeville Prep only lose by eight to Finley Prep in the uh, the most recent high school tournament that they were in, Athlete Institute, which is uh, the team, of course, that has Thawne Maker on it, which is now being, you know, that's a, that's a big conversation for a lot of uh, people down at ESPNU. A lot of those guys like to talk about him as the next big uh, recruit that's going to be coming up uh, into the NCAA. Uh, he had a good game against Finley Prep, but it was in a losing effort. But, you know, one thing that I found really interesting is the fact that orangeville prep the team that is considered by a lot of people to be the quote-unquote b team of the athlete institute has actually been putting together a better team a better season than the guys up that are representing athlete institute which is considered the a team which is the team that has thon maker which has a lot of the more uh, senior guys on that team so it's very interesting to see how a lot of the younger guys that are playing orangeville prep a little bit are, are really just showing improving right now, and uh, they're the ones that are at this point. They're leading the OSBA in standings. Uh, they were down by twenty at one point going into the half against the Hill Academy this this past week. Uh, this past week, and they were able to come back and, uh, and end up winning the game. As a matter of fact, seventy four to sixty six. So I mean, Chris, to be perfectly honest, like it to see how close all of these teams are placed amongst each other. It's it's, it's refreshing to see that not only are the prep teams putting together fantastic records both against American schools and against people here in Canada. I'm enjoying the fact that it's almost a wake-up call to a lot of public high schools that consider themselves powerhouses that were doing a lot of, I'll I'll, I'll say it right now, a lot of under-the-table recruiting for a lot of these other players that were playing in whatever city they were playing in. And, you know, they're being shown as well that, you know what, it's not just about recruiting. You need to be able to have not just talent, but coaching a lot of these things. It's, it's refreshing for me to see, personally, on a grassroots level. I would love
1: to see the next progression forward, especially with this league, is that Officer would recognize them the same way they recognize St. Michael's College where they would kind of allow them to play in an Offsa uh, and kind of make it a true who's the best of Ontario. And I only use St. Mike's as an example because they've been around for years and they are a private institution. Yep. A lot of friends have went there. Great school. But they are allowed to compete in OFSA, right? Yep. And not just basketball, right? No, yeah. They do football, hockey, the whole nine yards. Hell, they had an OHL team at one point. Pretty much. <laughs> it's, let's, uh, yeah, let's yeah, not they have, have a, words. That's They had an OHL team. Well, a lot of good players that came through that school, man. It's a mm-hmm. fantastic institution. But... At the end of the day, why not put, like, an Orangeville Prep in there or an Athlete Institute and let them compete? I understand there's a lot more things that go into it in terms of academics, funding. There's just... There's a lot of moving parts that don't make it a simple thing As saying, hey, let them play in OFSA. I get that. I get that. But why not have a tournament, maybe an unsanctioned one, where you let all these schools go at it? Let them play. it would be a lot of fun to watch.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there actually is at least one team to my knowledge, and I'm not to po- I'm not here to point anybody out, but I know this for a fact. Father Henry Carr is still recognized by Opson, but they are still playing in the OSBA. Which so, I find interesting.
1: It's a very fluid league by the sounds of it, to be quite honest with you, where if this is his first year, right? This is a it year. Is. And
0: you know what to me my personal opinion is that it, it it's it's a exposure league. Because you've got I saw scouts from major NCAA Division I schools that were taking a look at these kids, and I guarantee you they probably did not give a rip about who won that game. It had everything to do with about what that kid that they were specifically sent there to look at was doing.
1: Yes, I'll play devil's advocate a bit here, having been heavily involved in the recruiting game. Bridge. Well, they're there to see Thawne Maker and Mature Maker. I'm going to be brutally honest here. So the OSBA couldn't have came together at a better time When they have a player like Fawn and Mature Maker players how convenient (laughs) well yeah but that's just the way things happen to fall right the devil's advocate thing though timing means everything but at the same time kind of using Fawn and Mature Maker to kickstart this league is a smart decision because who knows what our talent you never know like another superstar player pops up out of nowhere don't get me wrong it's not just all about Fawn and Mature Maker there's other great players there to use Orangeville and AI Prep for example you got guys like Jalen Lewin Javon Blair Nicola I mean, there's a lot of players there yep. that are very talented players. Absolutely. But at the same time, I'm going to keep in perspective here. you got guys like Jay Billis, John Rajbones. Like the list goes on and on of guys from ESPN, 24-7 Sports, CBS You say the, the name Fawn Maker, everybody knows who it is. So it's very smart to kind of market your entire league around him. And you know what? They haven't really marketed. You don't see much of it.
0: No, you don't. Only basketball heads know about these games.
1: Yeah. So that that's kind of why I brought up I'd like to see them be allowed to play in OFSA. Because high school sports up here in general doesn't get the funding that U.S. places do or prep schools, and that's for obvious reasons. But at the same time, if they want sports in general to be taken seriously north of the border, you got to showcase these players. you got to let them be seen. It can't just always be, well, you're never going to be seen up here because all you're doing is you're playing on a high school team and the scouts down south aren't going to see you because you're not playing US competition yeah I totally get it but if you're going to want to make a change to that then start making a change
0: absolutely because above all else I mean here's here's the fun part about it we've got we've got kids now starting to leave the American system and guys like Jalen Poiser who's now at UNLV and you've got guys like Jamal Murray who spent his entire high school career playing in Canada they're the exception they're definitely not the rule the real watershed moment was bringing Thon and Matour on and having them in Canada, because they went the American prep school route. They were at Carlisle, they did their thing there for a couple of years. More specifically, Thon than anybody. But the fact that they were able to stand up, look around, and say, "You know what? I like this area better. I like Canada better. I like the environment here a little bit better to focus on my game." And the idea of that, bringing them up here, is something that, to be perfectly honest. I think it caught everybody so off guard, including the people in this country, as far as amateur basketball goes, that even they don't know really what to do with it just yet. And it's going to be interesting to see now, what's going to happen once Thawna Matorley leave. What's going to happen once a lot of these, like, are are we going to just deal with that legacy and we're just going to try and live off that? Or are we going to continue building on what we have and showing these kids that there is a way beyond just going to the American, or sorry, going to the prep schools in the US?
1: Well, again, to be Dell's advocate here, you look at two of the better prospects coming off the 2018-2019 class. You got Simi Shitu and... Yes. R.J. Barrett. Yo. Rowan Barrett Jr. Both in the States. Yeah. They're both playing Mont Verde, which is a fantastic yeah. prep school. I mean, Absolutely. That's creme de la creme right there. But to kind of go back on what you're saying, they're not playing Canada. Nope. And I... Uh, to be completely fair again, I get why they're not playing up here.
0: I agree. I get it. I, I know too.
1: And if I was a parent... And I had a kid as talented as them, and they had an the opportunity to play Mont Verde, I'd send my kid there too. Mm-hmm. 100%. Just knowing the exposure and what's going to come of it, they're both going to get D1 looks. Probably D1 offers.
0: Not only that, they're proven. Those academies are proven. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are going to, it's going to be a very wait and see kind of situation with places like AI Academy or BTV Prep or um, The Hill Academy or even Father Henry Carr. Like a lot of these different places. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be a wait-and-see kind of situation with them because for all of the great, amazing athletes and talents that we've put in the NBA in the last five years, every single one of those players have spent time in the States at some point playing basketball. Here's
1: the biggest difference. When you roll tape for a recruiter and they ask you, who's he playing against? You say, this is against a Canadian team, no SBA league. Or this is against a Canadian team, and officer, Some of that nature. They go, nah, give me some other tape of him playing some American team for some tournament. Against some AAU, whatever. You got anything against better competition? I don't trust this competition. That's really what it boils down to with the Canadian kids. Where American recruiters do not trust what they're seeing on tape up here because they question the competition level. That's really what it boils down to. And that's why when they play U.S. competition, call it American ignorance, call it whatever you want, that's the way it is. So when they play U.S. kids and they see that... It's just everything changes. But right that's away. the way
0: it has to be though. And that's fine. And that's the only reason why and you know what? We can go back to not to get too too deep into it, but it's the exact same reason why Jamal Murray got out of Kentucky because as soon as they put him up against international competition, as soon as they put him up against American competition, this is a kid that everybody a lot of guys had him on his radar, but they didn't know he was this good until so they put him up against those kids more consistently.
1: Yeah, the hoop the hoop summit is where he really came out. I mean Exactly. You look at the grassroots tournament, the Kentucky blue grassroots tournament that they had there, which is like every November, December. He played well. He played he, well with... But he well. wasn't,
0: like, earth-shattering in the way that...
1: Oh, the Hoop Summit was something else. I mean, exactly. He, he sat he, there he had, and had he arguably like... the greatest performance in Hoop Summit history. Yep. Yeah. And that really propelled him forward. And the dude's a phenomenal player, man. That's a lottery pick. Yep. Yeah. But to kind of go back to where I'm saying with... When they see film, film can be deceiving.
0: It's true.
1: 100% film can be deceiving. Even watching one tournament can be deceiving. You need sample size when you're recruiting. That's just the way it works. Is... When he kind of burst on the scene at the Hoop Summit, it reassured everybody that what they saw before is 100% legit and this kid's the real deal. And then he kept doing it from the bio steal and That's everything right. else from there. He was just he was a dynamite.
0: And he's still doing it right now with Kentucky. You can even make that argument.
1: Yeah, like Kentucky's gone through some groin pains this year, but for the most part, Jamal's played well. Sure, he's had some nights where he shot the ball poorly. Yeah. But the team's young. It's a, it's a freshman roster like it is almost every year for Calipari. Judge him on the tournament. Judge him when they get in the SEC play. Not just SEC regular season play, SEC playoffs, SEC tournament. The SEC tournament, and then when they get in the March Madness, judge them then. Like, really judge them then, because you're going to see a different level. Guys like Isaiah Briscoe, who are struggling now alongside him, which is the guard playing with them, they're going to, 30 games in, they're going to have a different chemistry, they're going to mesh. It's just, I would judge them then. Exactly. If you're going to want to judge them anymore, do it then.
0: And that just about wraps up... This edition of the T.O.T. cast, as always, I'd like to thank Chris O'Cranitz. A uh, big shout out to Natalia Jay, who will be joining us next week when we air our next episode. Uh, if you want to reach out to the show, always be sure to reach us at Tip of the Tower on Twitter. You can also like the Facebook page. Uh, you can also be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes now uh, at T.O.T. cast. And, of course, you can reach me at Ryan RyanReco416. And you can always reach Chris O'Cranitz at Chris O'Cranitz on Twitter. Everybody have yourselves a fantastic weekend and we will see you all next week.